It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold, or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Into hour number two we go here on a Tuesday. Glad you're with us, ESPN Radio. Nuwana's Now. If you missed anything from hour number one, we had the Class AA Spotlight with Coulter Nuwana's. Also just finished a real interesting segment with Dave Lodwig and Harley Paw talking about bringing high school baseball to the city of Missoula and state of Montana and their fundraising efforts. Real cool stuff. Anytime you can bring folks to the game of baseball, I'm a proponent of that. Got a few little tidbits in there on the Super Bowl. I have plenty more coming now in hour number two. But if you missed anything from the first hour of Nuanas Now, you can always catch the Nuanas Now podcast presented by Schulte Law, the M Store, and the MSU Bookstore. Cruising along, we'll now hear from Coulter Nuanas and Justin Angle, the business angle, the overlay of business and sports. Surely some talk of Vegas and the Super Bowl, maybe some Taylor Swift as well. You'll have to find out. Here's Justin Angle and Coulter Nuanas. Well, Super Bowl week, which is always a fun week to talk the overlay between business and sports because, uh, my goodness, how many different versions of that there are when the Super Bowl rolls around. It's not only the biggest football game, biggest sporting event in America, also one of the biggest advertising opportunities within America as well. So we'll get to all that. But I want to ask you, we're here at uh, Studio 49, Justin Angle here on the University of Montana campus. It is the business angle, probably presented by Blackbook Communications. Apple. The other, uh, I guess last week, launched their new, I guess it's called Vision Pro. Vision Pro, yeah. Yeah. I, I am, like, totally freaked out by this. Some of it looks so cool, and then some of it I'm like, what is happening? It is unbelievable. For those that are unfamiliar, it's basically virtual reality. It's everything from I can be at the Lakers game courtside if I'd like, or I could have my virtual office while sure. I'm riding on the subway, or I can do deep fakes with my wife and make her look like Angelina Jolie. I don't know. All of it is just so crazy. But this is uh, this is a huge breakthrough in the world of AI. Uh, it, it is a breakthrough of a sort. I mean, one thing that Apple does really well is it makes beautiful devices. Truth. Right. And... You know, and I think that when they sort of make a move like this, it's a signal that they're investing in what they think is the future of our relationship with technology. Um, inherently, I'm a bit of a skeptic, particularly of these wearables, particularly of these wearables that we put on our faces. Me too. Um, however, you know, if, if, if something like the Vision Pro can replace a computer monitor and can create more intimacy in work meetings and things like that. I could see some potential for it. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to live in a world where like people are walking around with these things on and they're not interacting at a human level. And, you know, all those sort of like, you know, the more and more our lives are mediated by technology. I don't like living in a world where people are paying more attention to their phones than the, right. than the actual human beings they're, they're with. So... You know, I do have some skepticism. I can't tell if that skepticism is uh, confounded with my sort of age and just becoming an old codger. But um, yeah, I've I've got mixed feelings about this product. I, I I do too. One thing one thing I always lead upon is that more convenient does not necessarily mean better. That seems to be yes. the bill of goods that we are sold all the time. And in certain cases, it's true. In other cases. I just don't think that it's true. I think a lot of times, like, the the patience it takes to create something or 
having it be faster doesn't necessarily make it make it better. Absolutely, faster and, and more abundant and easier to use. I mean, those things are not necessarily um, predictive of better. Right, and so I'll have to sort of see like how this thing. What are the use cases? If it, if it becomes something that you know enables better video gaming and sure. more time on screens, it's less like you're on a screen. It's more like you're in a screen, even. So if it if it continues to create you know more tethers between humans and technology, I'm generally not a fan. If it allows us to you know somehow create more equitable outcomes in our workspaces to help people with disabilities uh, view the world in, in in better ways or more complete ways then i think there's some potential there and and, and it has to be like do the and I, this is part of a broader stream of inquiry i'm doing in my work here is trying to think about when it comes to marketing of products and business in general like how do you balance societal benefits versus societal harms? And, right. And 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 we don't have many good models for thinking about that within capitalism. So um, we yeah. only we only think of generally the financial benefit at the end of the day, right? Well, that is a measure, right? Shareholder value. Sure. Right. And we think of that in a market-based economy as a measure of quality. Right, is that like that's the market speaking? That's the invisible hand of the market doing its work. And you know, there's some utility in that. There's there's beautiful efficiency to that, but there are these externalities and um, you know these consequences that are sometimes unforeseen or explained away. Or oftentimes, what you see is you know an industry is working in a coordinated eff- a way, and they can kind of capture a marketplace. Right. And the way they sort of defend that position is by saying, hey, it's up to the no individual doubt. consumer to make better choices. And, and you know, a lot of times as individuals, we're kind of powerless against that. I've thought about this a lot. I was at the, uh, the Hellgate Sentinel high school basketball games yeah. a couple weeks ago, and I was just observing teenagers. That's always just a fun thing to do because you can just learn so much about what the adolescents of your community are, are acting like, dressing like, being like. I had a little fun... Because there was four guys that were dressed up as ESPN guys, and they had an ESPN table there. Sure. So I went and messed with them a little bit. I said, hey, this is like a $100,000 copyright violation. <laughs> they were like, no, no no way. And then I, I was like, no, I'm just kidding. I have an ESPN show. You guys should listen to it. And if you ever want an internship, come see me. <laughs> but they were, they were scared. Regardless, um, I, I was thinking this, though, because we were watching all of the kids walk around just staring at their phones. Yeah. Like running into people or not looking up. And I was thinking to myself, though, this is a totally dystopian way of thinking of this, but I was thinking to myself, what Philip Morris and cigarettes had to deal with a long time ago, I think that's going to be something that the marketers and the advertising behind smartphones are going to have to deal with sometime, right? Just the detriments of it, the addictive nature of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, forever we were told cigarettes are not addictive. And then when. The whistleblower came out, and then, oh, yes, they are. And everybody widely agrees with that now. It's just going to be interesting to see how this... I don't know when that's going to come, though, because the the power of the convenience of it all is overpowering the, maybe the detriments, at least to this point. Yeah, I mean, I think you have, to, you have to distinguish between the device and what the device is being used for. And, and social media seems like this perfect constellation, like uh, the analogy that I'm sort of using with is social media is like methamphetamine and the phone is heroin. And so you're being served <laughs> meth Two, right. on a bed of heroin because the phone itself is designed to be addictive. Absolutely. But the uh, social media platform is is designed to hold you on it in a similar way for as long for as sure. possible. And the research on its effects on, you know, emotional well-being, particularly among our our young people, particularly among our young girls, is just is devastating. A uh, new study out showing that, or new, some new data suggesting that heavy users of social media are twice as likely to commit suicide than Gosh. light users of social I, media. I mean, as my good, our good friend Regime Seabrook always says, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. So <laughs> let's talk about some more positive stuff. It's the business angle here. Sure. Uh, on what is now ESPN Radio. Coming up tomorrow, our ESPN Roundtable is going to feature an awesome guest, uh, a guy I've actually got to know pretty well over the years, a pro football Hall of Famer. He, for a long time, had the the, uh, the distinction of being the only kicker in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's also a Montana State alum, Jan Stenerud. He played 19 years in the NFL. Um, what a story. I mean, he came to Montana State as a Finnish skier, 
He was great at soccer. He starts kicking. All of a sudden, he becomes the greatest kicker in NFL history. The hook here is, though, he played for the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you watched the AFC Championship game, the man who presented Clark Hunt, Lamar Hunt's son, with the Lamar Hunt trophy, who's named after the the founding owner of the Chiefs, uh, was Jan Stenerud. So pretty cool. He's joining us tomorrow. That's all to say, Jan told me an interesting story. Hmm. Lamar Hunt founded and, and I guess, initially purchased the rights for the stadium for the Chiefs back in 1960 for $25,000. Wow. The Chiefs are now worth... I don't know if the if the Washington football team is selling for six billion and the Denver Broncos are selling between four four and four and a half billion. Yeah. It's somewhere in between there. Sure. So yeah. so that's uh, a pretty good return on investment for the Hunt family. It's just crazy to think. I know 1960 is a lot longer ago than maybe we want to admit, but. Uh, I mean, 73 years for that sort of a return is pretty profound regardless of what industry you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, from 25,000 uh, to, you know, 3 or 4 billion, something like that. I mean, that's just incredible rate of return. I'd have to pull out the calculator to sort of right? calculate that number. Uh, no doubt. I don't know if anybody would have ever thought that uh, the NFL would get to this point. Um, but I wanted to ask you a whole bunch of uh, Super Bowl questions. First sure. of all, we've talked about co- uh, pretty much constantly here on The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications, about the, the 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 war that is currently exists for broadcasting rights, whether they're going to be streamed or the television contracts that are associated with these pro sports, who's getting what, who's showing what. Yeah. But Super Bowl, for uh, at least since 1970, at least since the merger, has been on network TV, and that's what's made it such a huge event. Is there any scenario in which you could see one of the big boys coming in and saying, let's put the Super Bowl on Amazon Prime? Is that even a feasible scenario? I think so. I think there is a model where you could put the Super Bowl behind a paywall and have it be like a pay-per-view boxing Man. event. Man. And the thing that will sort of be a pushback against that is the advertising dollars, sure. right? Like it's seen as such a showcase for advertisers to reach such a broad audience. But... I mean, is, is, it, is it the broadest audience in advertising, would you say? Yeah, it's the largest... Um, yeah, I think it's the, the, the most viewed, outside of the World Cup, as, as right. far as like a United States-based piece of media content, mm-hmm. it is it has the largest single-day audience. And so therefore, what comes with it is is the ability to reach just a ton of people. The problem is you don't have a lot of data as to who those people are and how engaged they are with your message. So it's, it is casting a wide net with, without a lot of precision. Right, and and so advertisers continuously trade off that sort of depth for breadth, right? Like, mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. I want to go after more eyeballs, or do I want to go after a specific set of eyeballs with a message that I know is right for that set of eyeballs, right? And so, you know, what we've been seeing is with particularly with social media, like that level of precision uh, translates highly into efficacy, right? If you can get your your message to the right, like targeting is kind of everything. Mm-hmm. Now you got to get your message to, the, and some people argue that the targeting, like who you deliver your message to, is actually more important that to invest in than the message itself. Interesting, right? And so that would argue strongly against the Super Bowl ad as a, as a construct. Sure, because the Super Bowl ad is this hugely flashy, expensive thing to produce. It costs a ton to get the media space, and it it kind of is this this like almost theatrical production right? in a way. There's very little call to action a, a lot of times. It's right? hard. I mean, you, you can do that, you but can. you're not, you can't be targeted. You can't go after a specific audience. Right. Mostly the, you know, the Budweiser's and Coca-Cola's and yeah. Frito-Lay's of the world. They just want the commercial that people are talking about. It's not, hey, go buy Budweiser here or go buy Budweiser because it's, oh, we're talking about Budweiser the next day because they had this person on the commercial or they did that funny thing during the commercial. Yeah, there's that effect, right? Like there's so much sort of downstream spillover effects mm-hmm. of a good Super Bowl ad, so much so that they, sometimes the strategy is explicitly around, like how do we generate um, content for social media or, or shareable content that others can clip and share mm-hmm. and talk about or review or whatever, but, you know, juxtapose the Super Bowl ad against some really targeted piece of marketing on a TikTok feed or an Instagram feed when you know exactly who you're, well, pretty close to exactly who you're serving it to and under what conditions. You can measure their engagement. You can measure their response. 
And so, you know, generally we've been seeing dollars flowing out of television advertising and into social media advertising over the last, you know, 15 years or so. And, you know, does that trend continue? Well, the Super Bowl is, is an interesting kind of watershed for that. If you see the Super Bowl having trouble selling that ad space or decline in price for that ad space, mm-hmm. and it's been up and down over the last few years, um, you know, that could be a bellwether event to some sort of transition in how the Super Bowl itself as a game is delivered to customers. The business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications here on Nuwana's Now ESPN Radio. It would be fascinating to see that sliding scale, right? Because if you're talking about last year, for example, was the most viewed Super Bowl ever. I'm actually looking at all the Super Bowl viewership uh, numbers, though. And the NFL has grown exponentially over the last 30 or 40 years, no question about it. The Super Bowl has not grown nearly as exponentially. Still more viewers. 114.7 million people watched yeah. the Super Bowl last year. But, I mean, to put that in perspective, there's been at least 85 million view- viewers every year since 1985. And even as recent, I mean, you're talking 86, 92 million viewers, 93, 99 million viewers. So you're talking almost 100 million viewers 30 years ago. We've had 14 million, but that's not as much of a huge gain. But the sliding scale I'm talking about would be fascinating. If you did it at a pay-per-view, okay, how many people can you get to buy it? What is the cost? And what does that number look like compared to what the advertising revenue is? Yeah, so a question I would ask there, like there's some logic to suggest that like Facebook could buy the rights to the Super Bowl and broadcast it. Or Meta or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, Meta. And then within that pitch to advertisers, like if if you're if you're Meta, you have the ability to serve different ads to different viewers. Right. Right. Like the ads you see while watching the Super Bowl could be different than the ads that I see. Yes. And so you're sort of combining the reach with the targeting ability. Now the question there is is a super is the production is are the skills and capabilities that go into producing the Super Bowl uh, transferable? Now, mm. Could Facebook buy those skills from NBC, from right. you know CBS, whoever? Could they just buy the team and duplicate that process, that production in house, or you know does does Such ABC, NBC, point. CBS have some unique special sauce that make them really good at what they do? That's difficult for another company to buy and 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 imitate. Now Amazon's production values for their their Thursday night NFL has been pretty good. You get the right team in the box, you know, broadcasting sure. a live event doesn't appear to be all that difficult if you get the the right sort of camera crew and, and all that. But um, or I shouldn't say it's not difficult. It is difficult, but it's not difficult to buy that talent and bring it in-house. So, sure. yeah, there's a lot of questions to answer here, but I think it, it it presents some interesting thought exercises as to how this could go. Yeah, it certainly could. It'd be fascinating to see if, if that ever was to be up for bid or if there was ever a consideration for pay-per-view uh, for the Super Bowl. That said, even with sort of the, the change we've seen in advertising yeah. over the last 10 years, do you feel like this still is... Uh, an opportunity that, that companies have to be a part of if they have the, the capital to do so? I don't think they have to. And we've seen... I was wondering know. that because, you know, at, at some point it's like, well, what if we just... I don't even know what a Super Bowl commercial costs this year. I mean, last year was something like $7 million something for like a 30-second commercial. Yeah. Let's just say it's still... Let's say it's $8 million. Mm-hmm. You're talking about target advertising. I mean, imagine the target advertising you can get on social media or in other platforms for that amount of money. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's a need for any brand in particular to be uh, a part of the Super Bowl. There's some that we expect to be, you know, the Coca-Colas of the world, mm-hmm. the McDonald's of the world, Ford, Chrysler, etc. like these big kind of legacy brands, right? And we expect them to be there. It's somewhat conspicuous when they're not, but they're, they're, there's years where Pepsi sits it out and... Pepsi seems to be plugging along <laughs> right. just fine. Yeah. I don't feel like these, you know, it's it's on rare occasions where these ads have a meaningful impact on the bottom line, like that Chrysler com- uh, commercial with Eminem. That, like, in some ways was a centerpiece of a total turnaround of that brand, um, both in terms of its internal culture, but also how it was perceived by the public. So these things can have great effect, but are they required? I don't think that's a required spend. Fascinating. It'll be interesting to see who uh, 
who pays the play, I guess, so to say, this year. When it comes to um, the the market, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I think right now is probably the most marketable professional athlete in sure. America. I mean, yeah. one of at least. He's certainly on the most commercials. What do you think of sort of that opportunity? Mahomes commercials for Allstate, for example, were going to be on the Super Bowl no matter what. Yeah. The fact that he's playing, does that make the the ad more valuable sort of organically? Or what do you think of that element of it? Yeah, I don't know that there's been uh, research done on this question specifically. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that generally speaking, there's... There's there's a saturation effect, mm-hmm. right? That that has to be you know that, that has to be a counterbalance to all of this. Like, is the public just sick of him? And it doesn't appear that the public is sick of him, right? Um, not to the extent that they're you know maybe sick of Travis Kelsey, right? Uh, <laughs> that's a whole different podcast. Uh, so I, I I think you have to weigh it against like you know maybe some idiosyncratic effects. Like, how is he playing in the game? Mm-hmm. And does that affect you know? So if you're thinking Patrick Holmes you know, is, is having a bad moment, does that spill over into how you view the Allstate Avid if it comes after a bad series or something like that? Or the inverse, which is probably more likely, if he does something spectacular and then you carry that halo of amazement into your experience of the um, the State Farm ad, that, that could provide some sort of extra juice to the ad. I was thinking about this the other day, too. We know about just the prestige of the, the quarterback position. Yeah. But throughout most of the NFL's history, there's been multiple quarterbacks. Even with Tom Brady, he always had peers, not only in on the field, but in the, the world of Madison Avenue, of advertising. Peyton Manning was actually probably a more sought-after spokesperson for most of the first parts of their sort of parallel careers. I was thinking about this, though. We've had these sort of, like, the most iconic per- advertiser or endorser in America, and that that guy was Michael Jordan, unquestionably, for, yep. like, 15 years. Then it was Tiger Woods for probably another, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Sure. Kobe Bryant was probably in that because of his global reach and, and just how popular, especially he is in China and, and Asia in general. I don't know if it's ever actually belonged. The crown has never sat upon upon a quarterback's head like it has, like it does right now, in a singular way. With the court, yeah. Yeah, with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think. Gosh, I mean, maybe Joe Montana for maybe. a period of time yeah. was on top of that heap. Yeah. But um, but even then, like the guys that were getting the commercials in the seventies and eighties were the O.J. Simpsons of the world. You know, that's Walter true. Payton. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, I can't think of another example of an NFL quarterback having this sort of... Um, I mean, Jim McMahon had it for like one year. When, yeah. they, when the Bears, the 85 Bears were such a legendary team, McMahon and his sunglasses and all that, but that was such a flash in the pan. Yeah, I'd say, you know, Tom Brady had it kind of late in he his did, career. He did, for sure. He certainly didn't... What? Then that's kind of an interesting question. Like, he didn't have it during... Well, this would this would spawn a whole debate amongst your listeners. Like, what it, what was actually the peak of his career? Sure, sure. Uh, was there such a thing, or was right. it just a sustained period right. of, of 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 greatness? Um, but yeah, I can't think of somebody who kind of crowded out the other people that played his position in such a way. From a pure marketability standpoint, it sort of makes sense too, though. Brady, even towards the end of his career. The whole story of Todd Brady, how he became more athletic and better looking as his career went <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. it sort of made him like unattainable to the everyday American, though, because they're looking at this guy and they're like, how's this guy anti-aging in his 40s? Right. How does he look twice as good in year 20 as when he was at the NFL Draft Combine? This is this is not like the rest of us, you know? And he's eating his kale chips and, you know, TB12 and drinking 400 ounces of water a day. Right. All these things. I think that the thing about Mahomes is... He's just such a middle American, you know? He, he talks like Kenny Powers, and he's got his funny haircut. And he's a great athlete, but he's not like some Greek god. He's just a normal-looking guy. Uh, and he carries himself in exactly. a normal, accessible exactly. way. Like that quarterback show on Netflix humanized him. Totally. In a way, he just seems like he's a kid out there slinging it, having the time of his life. His marriage seems wholesome. He yep. seems like a good dad. His wife, I mean, she's beautiful, but... 
but she seems like she's just a normal gal. They've known each other since high school. Gal, yeah. they've been together since high school. Yeah, he's not married to Giselle. Like that's the other part yeah. about Tom Brady that's unattainable. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like you know when uh, George W. Bush was running for president, and people would say like, I can picture having a beer with that guy. Like, yeah, you can picture having a beer with uh, right. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. I don't know. Like, I don't know if they had the wardrobe for that. <laughs> right, and like Tom wouldn't drink any beer. He Probably not. not. He'd like have some sort of you know <laughs> oxygenized mineral yep. water or something. It is. It is interesting. I mean, we talked about the uh, the power issue, the Sports Illustrated with power sway, and they said that. They said that's why Mahomes is such absolutely the number one athlete because yeah. you could see yourself not only having a beer, you could see yourself having four beers with him. And I think that that's just... It's humanizing, like you just said, perfectly to the the average average everyday American. Yeah, it's hard to know if these people are actually human beings, but he, <laughs> he, he appears to be one more so than others. No doubt. Uh, the business angle here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, talking all things uh, Super Bowl halftime show. Fascinating the way that this has evolved. For a long time, it was uh, they really wanted contemporary people. Then it went to like catering to the boomers for sure. a while. Yep. And now we're actually to the point where it's like catering to Gen X or, yeah, or, even, or even like millennials like Usher it's crazy to say because Usher seems like this new age artist he's actually been around for 30 years now yeah, geez, <laughs> right I mean he's, you know he came out when he was like 16 yeah. so you know, he's by no means old he's I think he's in his early 40s he just came out at such a young age but you know we had the Dr. Dre uh sort of hip-hop one a couple years ago I don't know it's, it's interesting to see because forever it was just like well, let's just put Bruce Springsteen up there or the Rolling Stones. And I think that caters to the probably most broad audience. I just, I love the the opportunity here because you're going to see a lot of belly aching because there's going to be a lot of people, especially of like my parents' age that are like, who's Usher? What is this music? Yeah. <laughs> yet they still watch. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. the takeaway is that if you don't like the Super Bowl halftime show, you're not the audience that they're trying to recruit. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, they probably watch the numbers pretty closely and are like, which demographics are we soft in and which are we strong in? And like, wherever they're soft, they want to shore up that market. So they're going to bring in a performer that appeals to that market. It's probably pretty similar to that analysis, but you know, it's a complicated analysis. It has to be data driven and you have to find this intersection of, you know, what does the data tell you and then who's available and who's available in such a way that they could hold the room and, and do it in a way that, um, you know, at the level of a Super Bowl. A incremental uh, increase in Super Bowl airtime this year. It was 7 million last year. We remember that correctly. It's 7.1 million this year. Yeah, so, so that's minor. Yeah, minor. Um, but still, uh, over $7 million. Uh, last couple things for you here. The business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Justin Angle and I recording down here at uh, Studio 49 on the University of Montana campus. I, I thought, I, as I always tell you, I'm sort of numb to all of this advertising stuff. I don't know if that's like a gift or a curse. I couldn't tell you my favorite Super Bowl commercial of the mm. last 10 years, except for I can. The only one I remember. And I thought it was the most brilliant commercial I've ever seen. It was 30 seconds of just flashing crypto.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk about the greatest call to action, because if you know, you're going to log in. If you have no idea, you're probably still going to log in. Or if you're, like, paranoid and you're like, oh, I don't want a virus, you're still thinking about what the website is, right? I thought that was a very interesting tactic. I wonder if there'll, uh, there'll be anything like that this year. Uh, you know, the, I think the the luster has worn off on the crypto thing. No doubt. A little bit, so it's hard to know kind of what the 2004 24 equivalent to yeah. that would be like what's in the cultural zeitgeist right now that that could that a simple call to action like that could be effective i'm not certain but i i do think the wisdom of what you reveal there is there's a couple different ways to go about the super bowl you know there's the just the general brand awareness if you're a new brand and just want to get on the radar of as many people as you can, you gotta go with a really simple breakthrough message, right? If you're a brand like Budweiser or Ford or one of these legacy companies, you have the opportunity to do some storytelling mm -hmm. and it, you can tell stories that are familiar to your customers and sort of reinforce those existing associations. Trying to change your reputation, probably too big a lift in a Super Bowl ad, 
But um, yeah, if you're new, go with something simple. If you're an older brand, you can go with a little richer storytelling. Because of the, uh, the how do you say this? The mass corporatization of America, yeah. basically. I guess what I'm thinking in my head is $4 million 20 years ago was nowhere near or I guess was a lot more expensive than what $7 million is now. Like what I'm thinking of is that $7 million seems like a drop in the bucket for most people that would be pursued, most companies that would be pursuing a Super Bowl commercial. Is there like an opportunity here where everybody besides the corporate titans get forced out? I mean, I think there's, there's $7 million is real money. Yes. Right? Like, you don't, you, you, no matter what the size of the company, you don't slip that through sure. in, a, sure. in an approval for your boss without some heavy scrutiny. And I think, um, particularly given these trade offs we talked about between, you know, sophisticated target, targeting and reach, you know, that there's going to be scrutiny on, on those dollars. Now, more and more dollars appear to be flowing into advertising. It continues to be the thing that we use to monetize so much of, I shouldn't say so much, almost all of the content we consume. <laughs> yep. So there does seem to be some wisdom in continuing to do it. And I think the numbers will will, will keep ticking up in the, event, in the absence of some disruption. But... I think that it's reasonable for businesses to look at that spend and say there might be other ways we can get a better rate of return on that. It'd be fascinating to see how it all evolves. Last thing for you, what do you think of this being in Vegas? Well, I got to tell you, <laughs> I booked tickets to see you two at the Sphere oh, wow. Saturday night. You did, and I had no idea that the oh my Super, gosh, that's that awesome. the Super Bowl was at Vegas. So are you still next. going or no? I'm going. And okay, I got, wow. I got a hotel and a flight. Holy and cow! Reasonable, and I had no idea. So you must have booked that way ahead of time. No, just like a few, really. I bought the tickets like two months ago in the oh, hotel, yeah. like a month ago, and I have no idea like how I got a hotel on the Strip for a reasonable price on Saturday <laughs> night. Um, and then we're getting out wow. of town at 6 a.m. on Sundays. <laughs> so, holy cow. So you are going to be, uh, I mean, first of all, I can't wait to hear how the sphere is. Yeah, exactly. This is like, looks like, I've only looked at it on Twitter or whatever. It looks like the most mind-blowing thing. I mean, people are coming out of this crying because it's so epic and visually stimulating and beautiful. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what it's all about. Have you seen U2 in concert before? I've seen every tour since the Joshua Tree. Oh, wow, so you're a big U2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, U2 is amazing, so that would be a sweet show. It'll be fun. So, but back to your question, it seems like, you know, why not, right? Yeah, right. Everything's coming together. We'll put it in Vegas. This is just like, yeah, you couldn't draw it up better. We were, we were teasing on the show the other day. If you put the Super Bowl in Vegas... And the 1991 Cowboys were going there, or you know, like the late 70s or oh, early geez. 80s Oakland Raiders. Yeah, I mean, you could have a, a a whole media core covering the antics and like, you know, the police blotters and what's going on. Guys get in trouble. I don't think that. I, I really do think that's a sign of how much more serious professional athletes are now, though. Like, I would be utterly shocked if there was somebody that was like wrapped up in some sort of shenanigans or playing cards too late or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and these kind of shenanigans exist anywhere there's well, a Super right. Bowl, right? That's like, right. It doesn't that's take right. Vegas that's right. to... That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, mean, you can find a place in New Orleans to drink too much bourbon or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, I think where the story probably is is all of the ancillary personnel, right? Like yeah. all of the... The, the the folks that a Super Bowl attracts and That's the right. antics that could be associated with that. Right. So it's an interesting question. I, th I thought Marty made a great point. Mar Coach Morningway made a great point, too. He said th there used to be, if it's not in Vegas, there is sort of a, a finite number of people that can be involved in the yeah. events. It's not that it's infinite when it's in Vegas, but it, it's a lot closer to infinite because there's just so much more, so many more amenities. Yeah, the hotel thing is part of it, right? The city's designed for this kind of event. When it's you know, if the Super Bowl's in Jacksonville, Florida, they will sell out of all the hotel rooms in Jacksonville. Yes. Whereas in Vegas, there's just so many hotels that you're just not going to sell out all of the hotels. Yeah, uh, I mean, somehow I got a room. That's still <laughs> sort of a shocker to me. Well, this is awesome. Well, I hope uh, I hope you enjoy you too. I also hope you uh, somehow meet Taylor Swift, and she'll be there at least, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get coffee or something. <laughs> Gotta love it, John Senterud, who's coming on tomorrow. He told me this great story. He's like. Because he presented the Lamar Hunt Trophy. He's on the field. He says, I see all these people. I've known Travis Kelsey forever. And he's like, 
And I said hi to Travis, but I I didn't have the courage to introduce myself. I'm like, dude, you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, like you are the, one of the greatest Chiefs of all time. She would totally be into meeting you. And he's like, I know, I know, I just couldn't do it. She's just a person. <laughs> She's just a person. <laughs> Amazing. The Taylor Swift effect. It's Nuance Now ESPN Radio. It's the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Jewelry Design Center is not your average jewelry store. The friendly, welcoming staff is so excited to be in Montana, and the craftsmanship, unique creativity, care, and artisanship you'll receive at the Jewelry Design Center is second to none. Is there anything you guys can't do? We don't cut diamonds, <laughs> okay, yeah, but we can facilitate that. <laughs> right. It's unique that we cast our own metal, we grow our own models, we hand carve, as well as use computer-aided technology to design. We're pushing the limits of what we had previously thought was impossible. Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life. One, two, three. One is now on ESPN Radio. One is now ESPN Radio. And yes, we did do it to you. Happy birthday to Rick Astley. That's the reason we're giving you that one. We're not just trying to troll you. We're doing it for a reason, giving you that one here on a Tuesday. Nuana's now ESPN Radio. Hour number two just got finished up with Justin Angle, the business angle, talking the overlay of business and sports. Now we're going to get into some, I guess you could say some hard-hitting topics. A very fun night planned at the Glacier Ice Rink. If you're tuned in with us here on SWX Montana and ESPN Radio, you're seeing some real cool hardware for the 12th annual Fire and Ice hockey game taking place this Saturday in the Glacier Ice Rink, 6 o'clock, benefiting fire departments here, Wildland Fires, also fire department number 271 here in Missoula, the 12th annual Fire and Ice game. And joining us in studio to talk about the game, Rogue Swenson and Brett Cuniff. No, you've been coming in here the last couple of years to talk about this hockey game. So thanks for joining us once again. I understand also it's been a busy media tour for you guys. Yeah, thanks again for having us. Starting to feel more and more comfortable every time we come in here. Well, I guess maybe now you'll be coming for my job, right? No, not yet. <laughs> nope. But real fun night planned at the Glacier Ice Rink. For folks, and obviously you touched on it off air, how popular this event has gotten in the Glacier Ice Rink, over a 1,000 attendees in recent years. But folks that aren't familiar with this event, give folks an idea of what's going on on Saturday night over at the Glacier Ice Rink. Well, so it's fire on ice. Uh, There are going to be two games. First game starts at 6 o'clock, and it'll... I guess we call it the the JV game. So it's newer skaters that haven't been playing as long, and so the skill level is not quite as high. But every game they've played has been close. Second game is a little bit more advanced with some better skaters. The bottom end of the team is a little bit higher, so it's a little faster, a little, a little more intense, and still pretty good competition. Now this event is... A community-oriented event. I know sometimes when you see the game of hockey, you you think hard-hitting and fights and guys going into the penalty box and that sort of thing. But this is similar to Grizz hockey that we see here on ESPN Radio. It's a yep. family atmosphere. It's a lot of fun for the community to come out. And it also benefits a great cause. So how do you see this as a fun family environment or and how... Can people get involved to help out a great cause? Yeah, definitely. So sadly, it's there. There won't be any hitting. There'll be some, uh, <laughs> some uh, little bit of pushing, but uh, you know, no open ice hits or anything like that. But um, for folks to get involved, we are having a silent auction. We're having a fifty-fifty raffle, and we're also having a chuck a puck during the second game. Um, the, the silent auction will be upstairs at uh, Glacier Ice Rink, who's been uh, a great sponsor for us over the years, um, giving us some ice time on a, you know, a primetime night Saturday in the middle of winter. Um, so I want to give a shout-out to them. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, plenty of opportunities to get involved. Um, the auction, 50-50, as well as the, uh, the chuck-a-puck. Visiting with Brett Cuniff and Rogue Swenson, both talking about 
Fire and Ice hockey game, catching us here on the ESPN MT app. You're seeing the Steinle Cup to our left. Now, do we have some sort of a story as to how this cup came about? Yeah, so when we started the game 12 years ago, I guess, um, we initially were playing the Rural Fire District, and we envisioned some sort of traveling trophy that whoever won the game that year could live at your station for the next year and and just kind of came up with the design and you know a little functional stein on the top kind of a pun uh, on the stanley yeah. cup and yeah it's been great do you want to show them how the the cup on the top can come off for those watching at sure. home <laughs> so it is fully functional and there have been adult beverages in here before <laughs> And for the radio audience, it's got a Velcro. I love it. And it kind of adds to the fun that will be happening at the event as well. And one of the things I saw looking into the uniqueness of the event that I saw, two prominent features of this event, bagpipes and brewskis. Count me in. Maybe touch on the unique aspects of the fun that folks can have or what they can expect to have when they come out for these games. Yeah, absolutely. So for the first game, uh, the two teams will be walking out to the Celtic Dragon Pipe Band right around 6 p.m. on Saturday. And then uh, it is a free event. Um, And then with the Brewskis, it's $12 all-you-can-drink Big Sky Brewery beer. So we're going to have a lot of good... uh, a lot of good beer there from Big Sky. Um, they're another uh, a group that's been helping us out over the past few years. Um, so, yeah, all you can drink for 12 bucks. All you care to drink. All, all you care, care to, to drink. drink. Yes, well, yes. I guess they better have some Powder Hound on hand out there at the Glacier Ice Rink come Saturday night. And I found this being around the Montana hockey team the last couple of years and Seeing also the rec hockey culture around the Glacier Ice Rink, how the game of hockey just kind of seems to bring people together in a unique way. Do you see that being a theme as well with this event, just in general with the game of hockey and how it seemingly brings this community aspect together, whether it being a group like yourself or a college hockey team or whatever level it is? Yeah, absolutely. I've talked to uh, a few friends um, over the week as we've been building up to the event. And uh, a friend of mine said the other day how uh, it's the one night of the year that uh, everybody everybody that he loves in the wildland community are all under one roof. And uh, the wildland community is small, but we are spread out um, over western Montana, the state of Montana, or, or Region 1, or the whole U.S. as a whole. Um and uh, on Saturday night during Fire on Ice, um, everybody shows up and supports a couple of great causes. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see the whole community uh, come together on the wildland side. And then also not to ramble too much, but um, every once in a while, wildlanders will find themselves working side by side uh, Missoula City. So it's a way for us to create a relationship with them. Uh, during the off season, um, get to know people's names and faces, and um, and be able to work with them or be able to know who they are when we find themselves so, when we find ourselves um, next to each other. Yeah, it, it's definitely good. It's it it has its own rink culture, so it, it brings everybody together. And it is like your friends were saying. I mean, it's one night of the year. A lot of people from a lot of different aspects they come to the rink and they just enjoy the game, and it's kind of intimidating because it's our game that we hosted and all of a sudden our, the crowd is two to one against us so they, they definitely bring good crowds the wildland guys do for sure brett cuniff and rogue swenson talking about fire and ice hockey game the 12th annual coming this saturday night inside the glacier ice rink it will be wildlands fire against fire department number 271 now you've talked about the matchup a little bit but there has to be something in terms of a storyline that makes these games special. Like, what? how do these players get fired up for these matchups? And maybe, I know they can't maybe poke check somebody into the boards, but you can always try to bring a little bit of juice to it, as we hear a lot here on ESPN Radio. 
Definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing for a lot of the players is, um, especially in the, the first game, um, a lot of them didn't grow up playing hockey. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, towards the you know middle of the first game, the, the rink starts filling up, starts getting loud, people start getting pumped up, um, especially the players, especially myself. <laughs> um, it's just really exciting for them to to be able to see them play in front of you know 1,100, 1,200 people. So um, you can see the intensity rises um, once the rink's filled up. You can see them uh, getting a little bit more pumped up, passing the puck a little bit more. Um, you know, working hard, and it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's definitely motivating. In the past, we've had the, the second game is when the pipes and drum. Uh, the Celtic Dragon Pipe Band leads us out, but the pipes and drums are <clears throat> are kind of ingrained in fire department culture, and just the the adrenaline it builds when they just start pounding that drum and oh yeah those pipes and you're marching out to the rink you're just so amped up. I mean, if it was if it was me on a like say a radio broadcast, I'd be ready to run through a brick wall. Absolutely, yeah, here we definitely. go. Yeah. A bit of the Braveheart aspect. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, there should be a lot of fun this Saturday. Is there a side, one way or the other, that has a competitive advantage in these matchups? Or is somebody going to try to flip the narrative on its head? I think we're pretty well matched up both both games, actually. Ooh. And they're kind of designed to be that way. We have a two-goal cap in place. So guys that have played for a while, like Rogue and myself, um, we score two goals, we're done. So that keeps the game competitive. It keeps it tight. Uh, all of our penalties, nobody goes into the penalty box. It's a penalty shot. Oh. So that keeps it exciting, keeps the goalies on their toes. And I'm sure the fans like that oh as yeah. well. One random trip, and all of a sudden it could be a goal. Yeah, should be a lot of fun Saturday nights. And one last question here, again, talking fire and ice hockey this Saturday. Now, thinking about it from this perspective, this is the type of an event that maybe brings a young person to the rink or anybody to a hockey rink that maybe wouldn't be there necessarily otherwise. What do you think this event brings in terms of the growth of the game of hockey in general? Yeah, it definitely. Uh, there's been more than zero people I know that they came to Fire on Ice a couple of years ago, and they're like, wow, if these guys have just started learning how to skate, maybe I can try. And they come out and start playing in the men's league. There's more than a handful of guys I know that have started because they saw fire on ice. Yeah, and even on the Wildland side, I have uh, new folks calling me every year asking if they can come and play. Um, I'll either slot them in, you know, the next year or, uh, um, you know, be able to, to get them in in the next few years. But after seeing the, um, everybody playing and the energy out there, folks want to start coming in and playing. So it definitely raises the awareness of the game here in uh, Missoula. Brett Cuniff and Rogue Swenson talking about the 12th annual Fire and Ice hockey game happening starting first game. Puck drop is at 6 o'clock this Saturday inside the Glacier Ice Rink. Free admission, as they mentioned. They'll have bagpipes and all the beer you can drink out there this Saturday, so it should be a lot of fun. If I wasn't with the Montana Grizzly hockey team this weekend playing their conference tournament starting Thursday, Utah State, their first opponent, I surely would be over there at the Glacier Ice Rink. So, guys, thanks for coming in, and good luck with the event on Saturday. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And uh, if you don't mind, just one more thing. Sure. Uh, forgot to mention we're raising money uh, for the Missoula City Firefighters Local 271 Benevolent Fund, as well as a fallen Montana Wildlander Firefighter Memorial um, here in town. So um, look forward to seeing everybody at the rink on Saturday at 6 p.m. It's going to be a lot of fun, and as... The guys just mentioned benefiting a great cause here on Nuanas Now. Fellas, thanks for coming down. Again, the Fire and Ice Hockey Game this Saturday, 6 o'clock, the Glacier Ice Rink. Stepping away, got a few more things to get to before we roll on down the line on a Tuesday evening. Last segment on tap next on 102.9 ESPN SWX and the ESPN MT app.
Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. And Dwight, your father founded Schulte Law Firm in 1987 and since then has mediated more than 3,000 family law and divorce cases. Why is he so good at that sort of law? Well, he is a smart and patient man. A lot of situations where you find yourself in need of attorney are a high conflict situation. And it's really important. And it's a a tenet of our firm that we work through litigious issues in a collaborative way. It's important at Schulte Law Firm that when we're litigating these very serious issues that impact people's lives, that we do so in a way that provides the best representation and the best result to our clients. And what we have found is that the best way to do that is to litigate these issues effectively while doing so with a high degree of professionalism. We can have these disagreements without making it personal. Visit jshultilaw.com. Oh! is now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Yeehaw! Hearing from Toby Keith again. <laughs> Yeehaw! Oh, Tommy sorry. Evans jumping in studio. Dude, a, you muted me from un- the get-go. And unannounced. Oh, I'm always welcome in this studio. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> okay, I don't, thank you. I don't believe you and I have actually ever Thanks. talked on this show. Look at Andrew back there. He's saying he's saying maso e menos. He's saying, that's eh, more or less. Sometimes. Saying, sometimes <laughs> yes, sometimes no. Thanks, you guys. Always a pleasure to be in here. But this is a special moment, man. Yeah, we've been... In the midst of so many different instances at, we were, we had a moment with pumped up kicks at a paddlehead game. <laughs> oh, we've been right. up in a, we've been in a scissor lift 30 feet above an ice rink. And with now, a flat tire? Yeah. <laughs> with the guy from New York, Steve Healy. Shout out Steve. And now here we are. Here we are. Rolling away. Us. Here we go. You got a show next door. Starting the 6 o'clock hour, the yes, new I do. show. I what do. do you, what do you got on tap for us? All kinds of stuff. There's some songs that were uh, actually recorded in 1978 that uh, have been released for the first time. And a few tributes to Toby Keith. So that's, you know, that's kind of the long and the short of it, Jeff. And you wouldn't typically think the trail for country, but I was saying, for some reason, I just have this nostalgic connection to Toby Keith. Is that something you feel as well? Oh, absolutely. I saw him perform when I was a kid, and I've always loved him ever since. Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue with Toby Keith, 102.9 ESPN, SWX, and the ESPN MT app. Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that yeah. might, it must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home and uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on and it was really surreal it was a cool moment cool experience for sure yeah, that's so cool you guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you but when people are looking up to you like they do I mean they think I mean you're the man right now at <laughs> the University of Montana what's yeah. that like being a Montana kid um it's different for sure um you know growing up you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that but um you know it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids lives um you know, I just want to make sure uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time.